Good morning, good morning, good morning. <laughs> it is so good to be here. I was uh, thinking about the uh, one of the announcements, the last announcement in regards to the Christmas decorations. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I want to refer you to John chapter 1. You don't have to turn there. But this is a festive time. Uh, one of the, the times of the year... Not that the whole year isn't festive when you're in Christ, but in particular, there's a couple times of the year um, that um, I hold um, in high regards. As were the children of Israel, Israel uh, they were instructed to um, acknowledge, observe certain festivals. So it is that we at Refuge have come to do something a little special here and acknowledge what it is that we point to December 25th, but we're not stuck on December 25th. That's just the day that we celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. But in John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, cannot comprehend it. We're going to learn a little bit more about that this morning as we go through 1 John chapter 2. But in light of this... Uh, this, this time is a, is a celebratory time. It's a season to acknowledge the birth that, of Jesus Christ, the light that has come to earth. In fact, the shepherds, as they were out in the fields, there was a light that shone and led them to the very place where Jesus laid in the manger. And so it's a special time. It's an absolutely special time. In fact, in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, one day we will not need the Son because the glory of God will suffice. And so as we... We're going to turn off all the lights and see if you can see your Bibles, see if you can see where you go. We'll darken out the doors that way. Can you imagine the, the darkness? Just one little light can overwhelm the darkness, right? Just one. So this time of year, we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And so we will put uh, lights up and we'll make it festive in here and enjoy this time looking unto Jesus, the light of the world. And so this morning, we continue to celebrate him and to look to, uh, toward him. And know that he is Lord, he is King, he is Savior, he is Sovereign, he is on the throne today, and it will be for all eternity. And so we're going to learn this morning what it, uh, what it means to know him, to abide in him, and then walk in the light. So please turn in your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. The title of this morning's message is, Do You Know? Do 
the emphasis is being you. Do you know? Not do you know, right? But the emphasis will shift as we go along and study these verses. We're in 1 John chapter 2. We're going to look over verses 1 through 11. So let's begin by reading the first six verses. The Apostle John writes, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Oh, Heavenly Father, we know that we fall short. In fact, I'm reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul who referred to himself as the chief of sinners. A man who knew very well that his righteousness was known only as he abided in Christ and placed his faith in him. And yet, at the same time, he knew his own heart that it was deceitful and wicked. Therefore, all the more, he rejoiced in your grace, knowing that his salvation had come by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Not by works. He used to boast in works. Lord, he could not boast in works because he did not save himself. And so, Father, as he knew how short he fell, at the same time, he acknowledged your grace through Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray, I ask, Lord, that, Lord, we would acknowledge that in our own lives this morning. Lord, that as you test our hearts and reveal anything that is not of you, that we would be quick to confess those things and repent of them. That we would prove that not only do we belong to you, but Lord, that we are willing to and desire to walk in the light and not in darkness, deceiving only ourselves. And so, Father... Speak to us this morning. I ask that you would reveal yourself in such a way, Lord, that we we, we have not known before. Give us understanding of your word and help us to apply it. So we thank you, Lord, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in John's day, there were people who claimed to know God. There were people who claimed to abide in God and yet possessed a character that was in stark contrast to Jesus and his word. It's not that there was anything added to the word, but there was an old attempt by some people to take advantage of the word, twist it, and invent something that wasn't true, 
in order to lead people astray and down a path of destruction, ultimately. Now, the question to ask is, is that really what was intended or is intended by those people who are leading people in false doctrine deceptively down that path of destruction? I don't believe so. I do not believe that for the majority of those that are teaching false doctrine and leading people down that path of false teaching, do so with the intention and the motive to lead people to destruction. Because I believe that they are deceived people. People who sincerely believe they're doing what is right and yet are completely blind. You know, something that we ought to be able to discern is when someone is blind. Physically, you can tell when someone is blind, right? You see that perhaps they're, they're walking with a white stick, white and red stick in their hands. They are feeling their way around. They have to walk carefully. They perhaps wear dark glasses. And just their demeanor, the, the way they carry themselves, you can tell that they are blind, right? Listen, in much the same way, we ought to at some point be able to discern when someone is groping in the darkness. When someone is walking around not being able to see where they're going. The blind do not intend to lead others down a path of destruction, but we need to realize that those who cannot see do not know where they're going. I believe that those who were deceived people leading others down a path of deception did this because they believed to be the prophets and the apostles of the people when they really were not, claiming to be experts of the faith, and yet they were not. Listen, it's dangerous when you get a few people agreeing in false doctrine. That is the false interpretation of Scripture. Because you can then lead each other astray. Oh, you're in full agreement. You're in unity. And then get established within it. Be confirmed within it. Be encouraged within it. This, as we've seen, even leads people down a path of establishing a false religion. And this is something that you can easily fall into if you don't read, study, and practice the Word of God. That is, apply the Word of God to everyday living. As you do that with understanding, it becomes wisdom to you. And you walk in ways that bless and honor and glorify the Lord and line up with Scripture. This is not something that is my sole responsibility, by the way. 
It is actually your responsibility to read, study, and practice, that is, live out the Word of God. But it is the responsibility also of the entirety of the church to gather together, as we were encouraged by Jake in Hebrews chapter 24 and 25, we are aware to not forsake the assembling of ourselves, but do so even more so as we see the day approaching. We are to stir each other up to love and good works. But there's more than just that. We all are supposed to do our part, participate in the fellowship of the saints. Not just show up, but participate. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This requires the participation of each and every one of us. It's not just one. It's not just a few, a handful. When we're firing on all cylinders, oh, how much we can do, how it is that we start to build each other up in love. We, we are able to discern when someone is going down the wrong path and lovingly admonish and encourage that person to come back in alignment with God's word, come back into the fellowship of the saints and focus on the Lord. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. By studying God's word, a person gains knowledge and understanding of what is true and thus possesses the ability to identify what is false and to not allow oneself to be fooled by it. You see, God doesn't want us to be fools, fooled by fools. He wants us to know his will and thus walk in truth. That's what his desire is. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Question for us this morning. Have you ever wondered whether you really know God? Have you ever asked that question? Do I really know him? 
Because last week we learned about some people who claim to have fellowship with God. Do you remember that? But all the while walked in darkness. And even claimed to have no sin. As the word tells us, and we learned last week, even deceiving themselves and proving that the truth was really not in them. I'm not asking if you know about God. There are many people who are unbelievers who know about God, who say they believe God. But even the demons believe and they tremble. They do one thing more than what most people do. They actually tremble. Remember that these people who claimed this were deceiving themselves and proving that the truth was not in them. So that's why I'm not asking if you know about God or no doctrine even, or can teach theology, or can debate unbelievers and explain where they fall short. I'm not asking you if you can write a book on systematic theology or engage in apologetics or write a book about the history of the Bible. But the bottom line is this. Because there are people who have done all of those things and yet fail when they are put to the test as far as knowing Jesus salvifically. Do you know Jesus as Savior? And if you do, then you will know him as Lord also. And you will act on what is true without hesitation, without delay. Instead, you will respond to him out of delight out of a genuine humility for his lordship. Because he is king, he is sovereign, he's your God. He's poured out his grace upon you through his son, Jesus Christ. John writes in verse 3, By this we know that we have come to know him. And in verse 5, By this we may know that we are in him. I remind you of what he wrote in verse 4, and we write these things so that our joy may be complete. The reason why John wrote this is because his joy wanted to be complete, knowing that there are genuine believers around him that are rejoicing in the grace of God and sincerely know who he is. But it starts with a fellowship, a koinonia, a relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is what John, and most importantly, God wants you to be confident in. That you know Jesus salvifically. And so this is the test. This is we have from the beloved child of Jesus, as you remember, it was, it was John who referred to himself as the beloved of the Lord, right? Oh, the beloved of the Lord. Oh, he desired as God desires. 
that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He desired that there would be a, a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. And so he lays out, this is how you can know. Because there were people who, claim, who were claiming that they knew God, they had fellowship with God, and in fact, they took it a step further and said that not only had, do they not sin, but they had not sinned. The section begins in verse 1, and we are overlapping from last week, which says, my, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. If you sin, we have an advocate. We have a paraclete, someone who is going to testify on our behalf, sitting at the right hand of the Father. You and I know that it is ridiculous to think that we can live sinless lives, right? You know, oftentimes, and I have to say this, when we come to worship the Lord, we ought to engage in nothing more than what is mission critical. It, it's time to stop being critical of everything else and everyone else and begin to engage in those things that the person is responsible for. In this moment of coming to worship the Lord, we can get so distracted with all kinds of other things. Who's here? Who's not here? Is it warm? Is it hot? Listen. In time of engagement, and we are in the midst of engagement right now. Right now. You can easily get distracted and derailed if you don't pay attention to how the Lord is ministering to you right now. At this very moment. If you're thinking about anything else but how the Lord is speaking to you right now, you are distracted. You are not paying attention to what is mission critical right now. You have nothing else to do. You have nothing else to do but to simply pay attention to what the Lord has to say to you. We can be in church and be all over the place and in the moment, not listen to what the Spirit has to say to the church. We acknowledge that it's ridiculous to think that we can ever achieve a sinless life. And it is contrary to what Scripture tells us. Romans 3.10 says, none is righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
But this doesn't mean that sin is condoned or even less encouraged by what John is saying. Instead, he is saying that when you do sin, when you do fall short, not intentionally, not habitually, but when you do sin, you have Jesus who is our righteous advocate who stands in that place next to the Father testifying on your behalf. He's the one who paid in full for your sins. He is not ignoring your sins. He is not sweeping them under the proverbial rug. He has dealt with them on the cross. When he said, to tell us, I paid in full, it is finished. He, at that point, made a declaration of victory over our sin. And at the same time, knew that we would, in this flesh, in this world, sin, and therefore, he made provision for that. And he points back to 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, to help us understand that, that we are to confess our sins and When we do sin, when you do sin, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you by his shed blood, again, as he has paid for our sins full. And so John wants to make it abundantly clear that he is not referring to a sinless life, but is referring to some tests that we can apply to verify or deny the claim of knowing God salvifically. See, that's what these tests do. They simply reveal what is true. Because people can claim to know, but only tests prove or reveal whether they do or not. That's what happens. I know tests don't feel good. I know that you might be going through one right now. But I can tell you, it's not, not so that you become more self-centered. It's, it's so that God may reveal to you where your heart truly is. Do you tend to, to quit on the Lord? Draw away from Him? Draw away from the fellowship? you tend to pull back? prayer, private and corporate. Normally, if you pull away corporately, because privately, there's something wrong. If you're not in fellowship or you're drawing away, it's because you've already done it in your heart and you've allowed that that test and that trial and that tribulation to prove that you really weren't as strong as what perhaps you thought you were. You see, when, when we are weak, when we're going through trials, I can say, I honestly seek you more. I want to be here more. I don't want to draw away. I love my Lord. And I want to press into him more. I, I tell you, You know, and I I mentioned the Apostle Paul as being the bulldog of Christianity, but I I also, as, um, you know, we saw 
uh, maybe some of you turned on the TV and you saw some college football games, right? I watch bits and pieces here and there. But I love the tenacity that is demonstrated on the field. When someone is carrying the ball and he gets hit hard, whether it be from one defender or several of them, I love to watch them pop back up. They pop back up. And they look at the defense like, is that all you got? I love that. They go right back into the huddle. They get the next play. They line up and do it again. you imagine if you saw someone get hit out on the field? They went down, and they quickly went to the sideline. Every time they got hit. Did they not know that they were going to get hit? That's what they signed up for? <laughs> You're carrying the ball. The defensive team is there to not allow you to get into the end zone. They're going to hit you, and they're going to hit you as hard as they possibly can. Why do we think it's different in Christianity? All of a sudden, it's, can you imagine the, the, the player going back to the huddle and saying, well, hey, uh, can, can you, guys, you guys carry the ball now? Because, uh, man, th that didn't feel good. And uh, I'm just going to sit back. I'm just going to sit back uh, I, I'm now filled with fear. You guys didn't feel that hit. I did. You're like, wow, go off to the sideline then. Right? They're willing to do that for a game. Why aren't we willing to do that for our Savior, for our Lord? We get so easily, we get little bumps. We get pushed. They foul us. We're like, oh my goodness, you know, I'm dying here. I got to go off to the side. No, we need to stay in the game. We need to keep moving because these are tests that reveal what we have or what we lack. You can claim to know Jesus, but only trials prove whether that head knowledge is understood and is applied knowledge that proves a genuine salvation. Verse 3, as we continue, it says, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. To know God. The test? Simple. Obedience. That's it. It, it does, does not take into consideration your circumstances or the season, quote-unquote, in your life. Does not. It's simply one thing. Obedience. That's the test. John makes it abundantly clear that those who claim to know God must then reflect an obedience of covenant living. That is a, a, a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. 
By this we know that we have come to know him. To know that we know God, we first need to ask ourselves, do I obey him? In the most basic way, do I obey him? Number two, do I keep his commandments? You see, to keep, we can't gloss over, we can't treat lightly. We need to understand what it means because it's more than just observing casually or occasionally when, when we perhaps we remember God. To keep actually means to preserve, protect, to guard, to interpret, and learn. That is continuously endeavoring to understand. It takes effort. It takes application. It takes consistency. To keep means to believe, obey, and observe as a pattern of life. So the question is, is this true of you? Or is God someone you remember just from time to time? Sporadically. Someone you call on when you're in trouble. Or only acknowledge and act on his word when you are in need of something. Because by, by this, we understand simply a basic foundational truth that helps us know whether we really know God or not. Whether our knowing is genuine, salvific, a genuine, possessing a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. Because if this is not true of you, then you have failed the most basic test. At, at this point, we can stop and then simply look to who Jesus is and explain that in a way that you can make a decision based on an understanding that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That we may come to know, as Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. As it says in Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The most basic thing we have to go back to if we have failed in this most basic foundational test. To say you know God and yet fail to keep his commandments is to prove that in all actuality you're a liar and prove that the truth is not in you. You can debate with me all you want. You can debate with someone else all you want. It really doesn't matter. It, it, it does not matter at all. We're tested in this and found, found to be wanting, falling short, that we, then we have failed. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. Not perfect as in flawless, but rather the love of God in Christ Jesus is whole and complete in us. Knowing God's grace through a genuine faith and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So to know God. Secondly, to abide in God. Again in verse 5, 
The second portion of that verse says, By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. In John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11, Jesus speaking to his disciples says this, I am the true vine and my father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does, not, does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. Verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full." That is how we know that we are abiding in him. If there's, a, there's something missing in our joy, and you have allowed either yourself or others to steal that. No one takes it away without your willing, your willingness, your choosing. In this section, in John chapter 15, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Jesus is telling them to maintain fellowship with him. To have a conscientious, regular, intimate koinonia with him. This is always based on a believing response and a keeping of his word according to 1 John chapter 2 verse 7. And as they keep his word, then there will be evidence described as fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. There's going to be evidence of that, right? When we see an orange tree, is it kind of, you don't know if it has fruit or if it does have fruit, or can you readily discern, visually discern when a, an orange tree is producing fruit? You can see it, right? It's visible. It's on the tree. You cannot tell someone else, well, well, you know, I have I have fruit, and yet there's there's nothing like where. <laughs> you know, there's a tree in the backyard that I was um initially when we moved into that house, it was producing some wonderful fruit. After three years, for some reason, it stopped producing fruit. Just stopped. I tried everything. A uh, little bit of fertilizer, digging around it, watering it a little bit more, watering it less, doing all kinds of things to see if I could, you know, help it along, right? 
produced fruit. It was amazing fruit when it did produce fruit. Well, it didn't after years and years and years. And I did what Jesus taught me in John chapter 15. It didn't produce fruit, so I chopped it down. (laughs) And it became firewood. It was still useful. It warmed me. Listen, for us, we we don't want to be cut down. We don't want to be put off to the side. We want to be Christians, believers, children of God that produce fruit. By the way, fruit is always something that benefits others. The fruit that is referred to is a reflection of his character, by the way, knowing in known in the keeping of his word. Christianity is not something you do. Christianity is someone you are, who you are. The scriptures are not something you study to only gain knowledge of, but it is the word you seek to enjoy fellowship with and have communion with and consume that it may form you into the person that reflects the character of God and serves to build you up in Christ. Remember that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we are to look at the entirety of the word of God to know God and know how to abide in him. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Consider the whole counsel of God. Genesis to Revelation. Verse 5, again, as we read and go on to the next section, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfect. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Which leads us to the final portion, to walk in the light. Verse 7, beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going, because the darkness is blinded his eyes. You know, in chapter 1, verse 5, it says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. We say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us. From all sin. Now, this is a reference specifically to believers 
regarding other believers. Not our enemies, not the world. This is to believers in regards to relationships with other believers. Galatians 6.10 says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You see, to walk in the light requires our imitation, consistent imitation of Christ. How? Through an obedience to his commands, his word. How can we prove that we love the darkness and not the light? You know, we prove, like I said, we either confirm or we deny whatever claim we claim, we declare. Whatever it is that we state, we can prove that we love the darkness and we can prove that we love the light. But how can we prove that we love the darkness? The worst thing that we could do toward each other is being indifferent. Indifferent. I'm acting as if that person just does not exist. But what we demonstrate is we couldn't care less. I'm not going to go out of my way. I'm not going to engage with you purposefully because you don't matter much, if at all. That position proves that we do not love the light, but we love the darkness. How else? Well, as I said, by avoiding a brother or sister in Christ deliberately, by choosing to allow deferring personal views or personalities to keep you from enjoying fellowship with others, by being arrogant, being condescending in thought, word, and or action, And we can cover it all. Because this is what John was saying. If you don't love your brother actively, then there's only one alternative. You hate your brother and you are still walking in darkness. You are blind to reality. You are blind to the truth. Again, it doesn't matter how much you argue. How much you, you, you say doesn't matter. You not only do not know God, but you are not abiding in Christ and the truth is not in you. You're not walking in the light, but blindly walking in blindness. Oh my goodness. We're guilty of this, aren't we, church? I don't like him. I don't like her. He rubs me the wrong way. She rubs me the wrong way. I tell you, we ought to esteem others more than ourselves. And we prove it by loving others and going out of our way to demonstrate that to each other. We get clicky. 
We, we only surround ourselves with people who make us comfortable. We're not actually walking this out in a way that proves that we're walking in the light. But rather, we're blindly walking in blindness. John 13, 34 and 35 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. By the way, this is, just, this is not John speaking. It's John writing, but it's Jesus speaking. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Well, God demonstrated his love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How's that? Greater love has no one than to lay his, down, his life down for a friend. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So if you're not proving this, then you're proving that you're a disciple of something or someone else, maybe perhaps even yourself. You follow your own heart. Because this will affirm that those who love each other within the church are above reproach, this is important, and actively drive out unbelief, hatred, and sin. Actively. And such believers will not cause others to stumble or draw them away from the community of believers, the local church, which in the Greek translated into the English word is called scandalous. What's the test? By this, you know that you have come to know that you know God if you abide in him and walk in the light. Abiding in Christ and walking in the light requires us to humble ourselves to remove ourselves from our comfort zones. Why do we insist on staying within our comfort zones? Move out. Get out of those comfort zones. They're danger zones. They are. So because you, you become all concerned about yourself and your comfort and anything that, well, that challenges that. We're so set in that. Oh, we, we will... We will come up against that. We will try and justify why it is that we are to remain in our comfort zones and not move away from that. That's not how it works with the Lord, not in God's economy. We are required to humble ourselves. It requires us to deliberately seek to know others and esteem them more than ourselves. Oh, it's... It's hard, and I, I understand. I, I agree, it is hard. But we are to minister to one another. We're actually required to submit one to another. First of all, know that you know God. Keep his commandments. Secondly, know that you abide in Christ. Live a life reflecting the word of God. And thirdly, walk in the light. Learn to love your brother. You know, Benjamin Franklin said, quote, well done is better than well said, close quote. Do you know God? Have you proved it? 
Is there anything you need to confess and repent of? Is there anything you need to change? Have you surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ and his salvation? Where there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says we shall be saved. A genuine confession of the saving work of Jesus Christ, believing that he died for your sins, was buried three days later, was raised from the grave. And today, as he ascended after 40 days of appearing to many, sits at the right hand of the Father and intercedes on behalf of you and I. If you believe that one day you will see him in all of his glory, why? Because you have placed your complete trust in him, surrendered your life to him, acknowledged him as truly sovereign, Lord, and humble yourself to him to know that you have come into that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and what we just went over this morning will be evident in your life. If it's not, if we fall short in some area of this, know that we are not fully reflecting the glory of God because it's not in us. God help us if we don't. Father, we, I pray humbly, come before you, acknowledging who you are. You're God Almighty, the creator of the universe. You sit on the throne. To you, belongs glory, our praise. And I ask, Lord, that you would forgive us of our sins. I don't believe there's anyone here who has walked this out perfectly. Father, I, oh, I ask, Lord, that you would forgive us. Fill us with your spirit. Empower us. To live life... Uh, within the fellowship of the saints in such a way, Lord, that we prove that we belong to you. That joy truly fills our hearts. That we are content with knowing you. That we know that peace that surpasses all understanding. And Lord, that we truly demonstrate that you are our Lord, and you are our Savior, you are our King. So I thank you, Lord, for what we just read and studied, Lord. This is a, a test to purify, to strengthen, and also, Lord, to lead some to salvation. I pray that we would, that would be true this morning. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, for your love, and your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.